times up there because I wasn't quite sure how that one went. So, okay, let's go ahead and open up in prayer for our next song. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you so much for your goodness towards us and thank you for all that you do. We ask that you look at Tangent's blessing and watching over the service this day, Lord, and just be with all those that are here and even those who couldn't make it for some reason today, Lord. We ask for your hand and blessing upon them. Continue just watching over us and just helping us, Lord, to serve and be faithful to you. Would you snap for amen? Okay, our next time will be number 340. I'm a little more familiar with all these other songs. that I see on here, and that's starting next week. We're going to start our fellowship meals. That will be September, August 1st. So, yeah, I don't see any of those announcements, so that's the only one. And I guess we're going to do the Lord's Supper now. It's been about four weeks since I've been home, and I, I mean two weeks, two weeks, 
And about four weeks ago, I started learning to walk again. And the Lord has been helping me. I'm down to finish the medication. And so I'm going to physical therapy. I appreciate your prayers. Uh, the Lord has really blessed and helped and provided for us. Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took up the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I, I was thinking about that first phrase in verse 24, when he had given thanks. Now, you think, what's going to be happening that night and the next day? Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed by one of his disciples, and then the next day he's going to be crucified. You see, as Jesus approaches the calamity in his life, he is thankful. He's not only he's thankful for, for the, the elements that he's going to be giving the, uh, the disciples, the, the bread and the cup, and all that it stands for, he is thankful. He's reminding me that every day when I wake up, I thank God for that day. Because um, after the, uh, when I, in the, just after the accident, when I was in an induced coma, I was dreaming and I was... You know, and I, and I was telling my wife that I wanted to die, and, you know, and I was at death's door, and the Lord wouldn't open it. And so, I'm thankful. So, I'm encouraging each, each of us to be thankful. No matter what we're going to be facing, even as our Lord was thankful as he was starting to face his calamity in life, his trial, his suffering for us. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, this piece of bread stands for my body. There's nothing magical in it, but it represents my body. And you partake of it and remember me that my body was broken for you. And he talks about the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. He says, this cup, as I pass it around, remember, this juice stands for my blood. It represents my blood that was given for you. And so please remember my death whenever you partake of the Lord's Supper. And today I encourage you to join with us as we partake together of the Lord's Supper, remembering his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed in our behalf. I'm going to ask Larry if you could pray first, please.
Please, uh, if you had your cracker's not ready, please uh, take, take your cracker out of the container. Oh, does everybody have the, the Lord's Supper elements? Okay. Um, Larry, could you help? They don't have them. Okay. Okay. What's really loud? There's a plastic thing you take off the top for the cracker. It's a little tricky. Okay. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we partake of the juice, John, could you pray, please? Please remove the cover from your cups. Okay. In the same way, you took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament to my covenant, my blood. This, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Savior, dear Father, for giving us your Son, Savior, for giving us your life. I pray that we would never forget. In your Son's name, amen. There is another announcement to get into the bulletin. This Thursday afternoon, uh, our, uh, our play set is supposed to be delivered and installed back here. So that we've been saving up for it, you know, and so they're going to be delivering it this Thursday. So we thank for the Lord for providing for that. Okay. What's that? Oh, yes. Uh, um, where is he? Roger brought in a bunch of books this morning, and they're free. So they're devotionals and different other kinds of books. They're over there in the hallway. If you'd like to look at them and browse through them after the service, please do. And take what you need. And that will be a blessing. Okay? Hey, John, what's causing the noise? I don't know. I'm what is it? Uh huh. Okay. 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 Go ahead.
Let's turn off the. Got those turned off? Everything's turned off, yeah. Okay. 309. It's not picking it up. Blessed Redeemer.
Pastor bringing the message. No children. Yes, uh, it makes a difference. We have, we have three families gone, and those three families have children and a bunch of kids. So miss them. They didn't hear the announcement about the play set, so I guess they'll be surprised when they, when they come to church next week. Okay. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to a land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so shall you be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in, all, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his son, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they went out, from the land of, out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. There was a story that was told about a goose who was wounded and landed in with some chickens. He played the chicken and ate with the chickens. After a while, that goose thought he was a chicken. One day, a flight of geese came over, migrating to their home. They gave a honk up there in the sky, and he heard it. Something stirred within the breast of this goose. Something called him to the skies. He began to flap his wings he hadn't used, and he rose a few feet into the air. Then he stopped, and he settled back again into the mud of the barnyard. He heard the cry, but he settled for it less. Has God laid his hand upon our hearts? Has he called us to fly with him in the skies? And we hear the call, as something stirs within us, and then we get up and go back into the mud and, and feed with the chickens. As God called us to a life of faithful obedience. In the book of, in the book of Hebrews, we find this verse about Abraham. Notice what it says. By faith, this is Hebrews 11:8. by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into the place where he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. Notice, notice the writer to the Hebrew combines two things, faith and obedience. So let's, put, let's just call it faithful obedience. That's what Abraham was characterized. And can we, like Abraham, live a life of faithful obedience. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. Follow Abraham's example of faithful obedience. When we hear the call, let us in faith obey. Let's pray. Bless, Lord, your word this morning. 
I pray that it will be clear. I pray that the exposition of it will be clear. And that, Father, we would be challenged and encouraged in our Christian lives. I don't know if there's someone here today who ne who's never met Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray for that person or persons, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And then for us, us who are born again, may we be characterized by this faithful obedience to you. In your son's name, amen. Now back in chapter 11, beginning in verse 27 of Hebrews, I'm sorry, of our chapter in, in, um, in Genesis 11:27. Now these are the records of the generation of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his, son's, his son Abraham's wife. And he went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran, and settled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now we notice in verse 3, verses 1 through 3, we find Abraham's faith response to God's call. Abraham's faith response to God's call. God called Abraham out of a pagan world and made astounding promises to him. And so, number one, verse one, God's call demands faith. Notice verse one, go forth. Now the Lord had, actually, I think it would be better translated this way. Now the Lord had said to Abram. That's a reference back to his time in Ur, not, not in Haran, but in Ur. So when they were in Ur of the Chaldeans, God had called Abraham. That's why they went to Haran. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. God says, go forth. One writer says, the biblical account makes it clear that before migrating to Palestine, Abraham had two homes. He spent his early years in Ur and then a long season in Haran. Each community became his home. He had to leave friends and neighbors and kindred behind him when he left Ur and stole others when he departed from Haran. In each case, the threefold tie of land, people, and kindred, kindred was severed. So the call we have in verse 1, as I just mentioned, was made when Abraham was in Ur. And then it was later renewed when he was in Haran. So God calls Abraham to go, go forth. And so Abraham had to leave the comfortable Ur of the Chaldees. Now, when we think about way back then, we think they're primitive, and they're, they're living from hand to, you know, foot to mouth, and hand to mouth or whatever, and they're, and, they're, um, and they're living in caves, and they're just primitives. But that was not the case in Ur. Let me read you about Ur. Ur was a fabulous city. It was near the Persian ghost, <laughs> Persian ghost, the Persian Gulf, and... <laughs> over by Iran, and even in 2000 BC, it had an advanced culture. Back in the 20s and 30s of the last century, Sir Charles Leonard Woolley excavated Ur 
and came up with some of the greatest treasures of archaeology. In Ur's royal cemetery, they found 16 tombs, each one filled with golden headdresses and gold and silver harps. Each tomb also contained up to 74 bodies of servants who were buried alive with the king. Woolley's excavations also revealed that the houses of Ur were two stories high and were whitewashed to be pleasing to the eye. The larger, rooms had up, larger homes had up to 20 rooms with well-equipped kitchen, good plumbing, and sanitation. This was 2000 you know, uh, BC or thereabouts. Their schools taught mathematics, astronomy, and medicine. Abraham was not a yahoo from the backside of the desert who didn't know anything. He probably had a very comfortable life in the most advanced culture of that time. Now, God is telling Abraham and calling him out of that, now out of his comfortable life, and to depart into the unknown. He, tell, he tells him, I want you to go to another place. And he doesn't tell him, tell him the name of that place. Then what later on Abraham finds out, and that, because that place would be revealed. And so Abraham did not know where God wanted him to go. He was told nothing about the land to which he must go. So his departure from Ur of the Chaldees required an unparalleled act of faith. He had to really trust his God. When God said, go, I want you to leave and go, you know, your comfortable lifestyle and go into the unknown. Abraham had to trust God. He was to trust entirely the guidance of his God and to follow wherever he, where God might lead him. Someone writes, thus, Ab thus Abraham was to meet a new test of faith. The Lord had found the man for his purpose, one he could subject to heavy strains, a man who would regard the doing of God's will as the one important thing in his life. So what did Abraham do when God called him to leave? He simply had to trust his God. He had to trust his God for his livelihood because, you know, he wasn't, he was, there, no, there was no guy looking for, you know, to hire Abraham out in Canaan. So, you know, he was going to the unknown. He was losing his livelihood. He's losing his friends. He's losing his dwelling place. You know, and when he gets to Canaan, what is he going to, what is he going to be? A tent dweller. He left his comfortable house to live in a tent. He had to trust God for his protection. In other words, Abraham had to trust God for everything. Have, have you been challenged that way? Have I been challenged that way? Where everything is on the line to, be, to trust God. And intimately connected to that trust was obedience. Trust is always connected to obedience. And obedience to God is the evidence of trust in God. Like the song says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. So God's call demands faith. And God's call in verses 2 and 3 produces great blessings. Let me read those again. And I will make you a great nation. These are promises. And I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless thee, and the one who curses you I will curse, and all... And in, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's promise to bless Abraham. And so the promise of this blessing guaranteed Abraham 
everything he could desire. It's God's promise that he, did, he trusted and he had faith in, and that his every need would be supplied. And God's call is always associated with his blessing. This does not mean that it's going to be easy. It was hard for Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldee and to leave Haran. But so it does not mean that it's going to be easy or that suffering is not involved. Yet when we respond to the call of God upon our life, he blesses. And to Abraham, notice what the promise was. A great nation, personal blessing, and a great name. These promises would enable him to be a blessing. So God commanded Abraham to go. Then in the second half of verse 2, God commanded Abraham this. It, it doesn't look like it in our English translations, but in the Hebrew, it is a, it is a command. It, it, and it says this literally, you shall be a blessing. You shall, I command you to be a blessing. When your obedience and your exercise of your faith in me, you will be a blessing. Three, prom, three promises are based upon God's call, one writer says, for Abraham to leave his land, a great nation, a blessing for Abraham, and a great name. These promises would enable him to be a blessing. And so this blessing of God included his special watch care over him. Based upon this, one writer says, based on this, upon this obedience were God's three promises. Bless those who blessed him, curse anyone who would treat him lightly, and bless the families of the earth through him. And so through Abraham, God would come would come with the, would come the greatest blessing on the earth. And that would be the Messiah. Abraham didn't know this at that time, but that's what's going to happen. His trust in his God would bring the greatest blessing the world would ever know, and that's Jesus Christ. And it all hinged upon Abraham's trust in his God. God had a, had a God's, Abraham's calling, I should say, had a purpose. His obedience would bring great blessing. And so that's uh, Abraham's uh, faith in God's call. Then beginning in verse 4, we have Abraham's obedience to God's call. Notice verse 4 again. So Abraham went forth as the Lord spoke, had spoken to him, and Lot with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And notice this simple obedience that's talked about in verse 4. It doesn't go... God doesn't, in, in, in this text here, doesn't go into a lot of detail. You know, he didn't say, Abraham had to say goodbye to this guy, this family member, and that thing. He had to leave behind this, this, and this, and this, and that. He just says, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken. What do we call that? Simple obedience. God pointed in the direction to go, and what did Abraham do? He went in that direction. Now, how old was he? The text tells us he was 75 years old. So he's no spring chicken. He, you know, he, he was an older man. And this real faith and this obedience in a God defies human logic. Abraham barely had strength to blow out his 75 birthday candles before God said, okay, I want you to pick up everything and go. And Abraham went, and God called him. And so in verse 5, we have Abraham's total, total surrender. Notice, Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and their possessions, which they accumulated, and the persons which acquired Haran, and they set out from the land 
out for the land of Canaan, and thus they came to the land of Canaan. So apparently while they were in Haran, God had called Abraham again. It's not in the text, but apparently he had. And so Abraham took everything with him. Notice the phrase, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. In Haran, many people, literally the Hebrew says souls, were acquired by Abraham and his family. The getting of souls may refer to proselytizing. So what was Abraham doing while he was in Haran? He was telling people about his God. He was on his way. He didn't know where he was going. This was just a stopping place. But he was faithful in his going of telling, his people, telling people about his God. And so he acquired these souls. And so it, it talks about his influence among some Heronites to follow Yahweh. And he did not leave anything behind to cause him to want to return later. He took his family. He took, he took his possessions. Without hesitation, he gathered together his family and his possessions and set out on a major migration. Ever done that? Has God called you to do something and you, know, and you had to do it and you took everything with you to do it? What's happened to uh, my family and I several times? Uh, we were living in Indiana. We just had the birth of our first son and God called me to seminary. That was back in 82 when we landed in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, Calvary Baptist Theological Seminary. When I graduated in 85, we went back to Indiana. I went to seminary there, and I taught in Christian school. Then in 93, God called us to be assistant pastor out in Pennsylvania, and so we moved again each time. And when God called us to go, we obeyed without looking back. Was it easy? No, it was hard. Okay. My question is, what is keeping us from full obedience to God? Is it a person, a thing, a desire, a pleasure, or a plan? Notice what Jesus said in Luke 9:62. And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, that's what Abraham, God called Abraham, and he just went. And he didn't look back. And we need to do the same thing. When God calls us to do something, it may not be major. It may be something small. We need to do it and not question what God has called us to do. We need to trust him, and we need to be obedient to his call. So what are some lessons? The first lesson I have is this. There is no excuse to obey the call of God. Let me repeat it again. There is no excuse to disobey the call of God. We may say, well, I'm too old. Or, I'm too young. Or, I'm not smart enough. Or maybe, I'm too dumb. Let me put it that way. You know what? It doesn't matter who we are or what our circumstances are. When God calls us to do something, it is our obligation to respond in faithful obedience. 
Notice Jesus' call to obey no matter what, no matter the cost in Luke. Luke 14, 26 and following. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot bear my disciple. Now when Jesus in his society spoke of bearing a cross, what is he talking about? Dying. So it's a dying to self. And maybe even dying physically. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth down, not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest ha haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it. All that behold it shall be, will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king hath going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth condition of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. The call of God requires complete commitment and obedience no matter the personal cost to us. And we must obey in faith. A second lesson is this. Our obedience to the call of God impacts others. In our text, think about Abraham. He was going to be a blessing not just to his family, but to the entire world eventually through the Messiah. His, his faithful obedience brought that blessing. One writer had the, these words. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You and I as believers do not live in a vacuum. Whatever choices we make or choices we don't make will affect somebody whether it be our family or friends or workers. You know, people are looking at us. And they're, many times, if they're unbelievers, they are looking for chinks in our armor. And they will use those against us. And people around us are evaluating the reality of Christianity by our lifestyles. And the way that we live speaks volumes to those around us. George Barna, researcher and author of the book Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, says this, for many years we have reported research findings showing that born-again adults think and behave very much like everyone else. It, seems, it often seems that their faith makes very little difference in their life. A new study helps explain this. Believers do not train their children to think or act any differently. When our kids are exposed to the same influence without much supervision and are generally not guided, into, into, guided to interpret their circumstances and opportunities in light of biblical principles, it is no wonder that they grow up to be just as involved in gambling, adultery, divorce, cohabitation, excessive drinking, and other unbiblical behaviors as everyone else. 
What we build into a child's life prior to the age of 13 represents the moral and spiritual foundation that defines them as individuals and directs their choices for the remainder of their life. Only three in 10 born-again parents included the salvation of their child in a list of critical parental emphases. You see, we as believers impact those around us, particularly as parents. We do that. A third lesson is this. Faithful obedience renounces the certainties of the past. Faithful obedience renounces the certainties of the past and accepts the uncertainties of the future. Faithful obedience rejects or renounces the certainties of the past and accepts the uncertainties of the future. The certainties of the past and accepts the uncertainties of the future. Just like Abraham, he left the certainties of Ur, a comfortable lifestyle. He was well off, you know, and he had it going great financially and friends, socially. Those were his certainties. He left them. And he went forward into the uncertainties of the future. That's faithful obedience. And it took this faith and obedience in the Lord to do that. And so, and that faith was demonstrated by Abraham's obedience to follow his God into the unknown and the challenging. And we need to be the same way. Volleyball was introduced into the Olympic sport in 1964 Tokyo Games. A Japanese women's team was chosen to represent their nation for the event. Hiro Fumi Diyamatsu, their coach, put the women through a grueling training program that resembled a marine boot camp. The six-day-a-week training program was quite brutal on the women, both physically and mentally. Diyamatsu, in fact, was trying to utterly break the women. He promised them two things. Those who could not survive would, re, would be released from the team, but those who did would win the Olympic gold medal. The training, however, did pay off. They eventually did win the gold. When they stood to receive their medals, every woman was crying. It was a glorious moment, one team, said team captain, Masai Kasai. We all cried for two reasons. We had won the gold medal and had fulfilled our expectations and that of the Japanese people. Even more, we cried because this would be our last game together. And even though we had been through so much pain and anguish, it was worth it. I'm sure we would all do it again. This writer goes on, even though their journey had been difficult, those women would have gone through it again for the prize of gold. At times, our spiritual journey is difficult. But in the end, we are promised a gold crown if we are faithfully obedient to God. That's it. That's it. God's call may seem impossible. But what we have to do is to simply trust him and obey him. Reminds me of Jonah. Remember Jonah? He received the call of God. Did he not? God said, I want you to go this way. What did Jonah do? He went that away, right? He went in the opposite direction. So what did God have to do? 
he had to catch him with a fish. You know, usually it's the other way around. He had to catch him with a fish, and then he barfed him up on a beach near the, in the direction of Nineveh. What did Jonah learn? He learned that when God says go, he must go. Faithful obedience. And that's what we need. Has God called us to do something for him? If so, have we responded with a faithful obedience to him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for a man like Abraham. He's called the father of the faith. He is the epitome of everything that the Jewish nation hoped for in a person, in a man. And he was faithful, and he was obedient. And I pray as we, in the next few weeks, look at the life of Abraham, that we indeed would be challenged and encouraged by his life. And that we would learn lessons that would help us to be faithful and obedient to you, to express a faithful obedience to you. Thank you, Father. In your son's name, amen. Please stand with me and turn to number 300. Number 300. The way of the cross leads home. Number 300.
Roger, could you close in prayer?